I listened to a sermon on an audio cassette 15 years ago. Anybody remember what an audio cassette was? And I believe it was one of the most impacting sermons that I ever heard, and definitely the most memorable sermon I'd ever heard in my life. And I thought to myself, I actually want to preach that sermon one day. And when I heard we were doing a series on Christ in the Old Testament, I thought this would be the time. So if you do preaching for a living, so to speak, uh, when you hear greatness, uh, you sit there in awe of it and go, wow, that, that, that was a word from God. And today I'm going to preach that sermon that I heard 15 years ago. It's kind of an unwritten rule amongst preachers that you don't preach other people's sermons. Um, uh, the first reason is the nature of revelation for the preacher, right? So the first idea is that the preacher studies the text and God changes the heart of the preacher first, then delivers it to the people. And that, there's a transforming experience there. That's why you should never sit underneath somebody who just copies other people's sermons because they bypass the heart uh, usually on that. So I've just done extra work this week to make sure that even though I, am, uh, I didn't come up with the frame for this sermon, that I didn't shortcut that type of prep. Secondly, there's an issue around ethics and plagiarism. Um, and this has become more popular with the Internet but you preach something that you presented as, as your own, but it's really somebody else's work. It's, it's really not the idea of preaching the content of somebody else. It's, it's doing without attribution. So although I've adapted several parts, I want to give proper credit to Rob Bell for much of the content and framework to today's sermon. He preached a sermon in 2004 at the Willow Creek Conference on Preaching. If everyone could please take a card as it's passed to you. Leviticus 16 talks about a time in the Jewish calendar that was indicative of their seven feasts that they did all throughout the year. At this time of year, it's actually actually this exact time of year in our calendar uh, today, was known as Rosh Hashanah. This was the new year. This is where there was a refresh 
on the people of God and their relationship with him. And Rosh Hashanah kicked off this period where there were 10 days of prayer and fasting and cleansing and introspection, culminating in Yom Kippur, which means the Day of Atonement. This past Wednesday was Yom Kippur, and if you were watching the news, you saw, uh, sadly, a bombing uh, in Germany outside a synagogue, intentionally bombing a synagogue on Yom Kippur, which is known as the Day of Atonement. What is Yom Kippur? So you can imagine at the end of this 10 days of prayer and fasting what the people would be like because they have spent this time looking over their sins and the sins of the nation and the sins of the people, and they all assemble for Yom Kippur. And they would come to the, in the tabernacle days, they would come around the tabernacle there in the wilderness, and when the temple was built, they would all come to the temple mount. And if you can kind of picture a scene of what it might be for the temple mount there, and there'd be hundreds of thousands of people around the temple mount, and God would come down into that temple. The temple was this place where the divine and the supernatural and the natural and the human interacted and met. And it was, it was a mystical experience, but there was no doubt that God was meeting man. You see that God has always desired to be with his people. You see in the Old Testament that in the wilderness he followed with him a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then when the tabernacle was there, you had the, the tent of meeting, and then you had the inner court, and then you had the uh, holy of holies, and that's where the high priest would go in and uh, sacrifice on behalf of the people and present the people to God. So this, this temple was greatly symbolic of where heaven met earth. And the person who actually mediated that whole experience was the high priest, and the high priest would be there to be the one to bring the prayers of the people before God and to communicate with the Lord. And this was a time of confession of sin. It was time to begin the new year, and it was time to get pardon and forgiveness for all the sins of the past. Why was this necessary? Because people forget God. They forget his glory. I think sometimes our spiritual lives are like the batteries on our cell phones. The longer they're on, the more that battery just drains and wanes. And do you ever feel that way spiritually? You maybe come to a service on a weekend and you are part of a stirring service and you kind of get charged up, but by Wednesday you feel like you're back to your same old self. This is just the natural declension of humanity. We forget God. We forget his power. We forget his sovereignty. We forget that he had done great things for the people, like deliver them from slavery. And we can forget him, and all of a sudden, God becomes small to us, and our problems become really big to us. This is the nature of sin. Sin is missing the mark, and it's not very popular today to talk about sin, but sin is our primary problem. We take God off the throne of our heart and we put ourselves on the throne of our heart and we do what we want and we like to live our lives the way we want to live them. We misplace the worship of God with behavior that's idolatrous. Instead of God being enough, we turn to money or sex or alcohol or power, you name it. We all have this idol factory called our heart. What might be an idol 
for you? I'll ask you one question I've heard a preacher use often is, uh, if this was taken away from your life, it would make you want to jump off a bridge. Think about that. That's perhaps an idol for you. Or something that you would want so bad that if you never were ever granted it by God, you would not find that life was worth living. This is the idols of the heart. And this results in, this sin in our life results in guilt and shame. And we carry it around like a backpack of rocks. So there was a need for this day of atonement, this day of cleansing. It was like hitting the refresh button on your life and clearing out all that sin, reminding yourself of who God is. Because what does God want? He wants you to be aware of your sin, to confess it, to repent, to turn away from it, and reach out to him for forgiveness and cleansing and power to live the way he created you to live. That's why Yom Kippur was really important. So then we have there in the passage that was read what they did to symbolize that. Now, it's so very important that in the Old Testament, you know, God taught us his truths usually via symbols and pictures. In today's theology, we tend to enumerate things and put them in fat books, but God basically gave pictures, and those pictures then symbolized for people throughout all time and all cultures what his truth was. He would, they would take two goats, and they would bring them in. One goat would be sacrificed, as you heard in the passage that was read, and would be sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people, to cover over. The second goat there was there to take away the sin. The high priest would confess the sins on the head of the goat, and it would be taken away. You saw in the text, Azazel. Azazel means to take away. That was uh, now known as the scapegoat, the Azazel. That they, when that goat left it was the symbol that not only were sins forgiven, they would be remembered no more. So it would be great if I had a symbol to illustrate that today. Did anybody bring a goat with them today that I can show as an illustration? No? No goat? Well, thankfully, uh, Evan Clark uh, has brought a goat with us today. Let's welcome Evan and his goat. This is no ordinary goat, folks. This is the grand champion breeding goat of the Jeffco 4-H. Four-year champion. This is no ordinary goat. This goat is worth $2,000. And this goat doesn't like going to church, obviously. <laughs> this goat has produced other champion goats. Uh, this goat is actually pregnant with more goats. So this is the goat of goats, I guess you could say. Evan, thanks for joining us and bringing your prize goat to us today. So, what would happen is, he would take this live goat and he would lay his hands on the head of the goat, confess over it. The Bible says all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. And he shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task, usually a Gentile. And the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it into the wilderness. So the high priest would come over, put the head, hands on the head of the goat. Just be nice to me, okay, Harold? Uh, and then confess all the sins of the people. Can you imagine in the hundreds of thousands of people watching, like, this was the holy moment, right? Because you had remembered some of the sins you had committed. 
Those were all being carried to the head of this goat. And you would want those to be wiped away. Can you imagine what it would be like for us to sit here and pause and think, what were the sins of America this year? And could we perhaps confess those sins and place them on the head of this goat? And could they be wiped away? What about the sins of our country since its founding, perhaps? They were still reaping the consequences of. Or what about your individual sin? I imagine if you're in the crowd, your mind is rehearsing some of those things you can't forget. Oh, yeah, sure, some people hurt you this year, but you hurt them back. And sure, you uh, read your Bible, but and you prayed, but perhaps there was a few more Netflix binges than there were prayer binges this year, right? Or maybe there was that moment where you actually caved and, as is popular today, didn't exhibit the best version of yourself. So he would confess all of these sins. And then the goat was to be taken away. It was the Azazel, the the one who takes away. He goes out into the wilderness to die. Uh, Legend has it, or history has it, that they led that goat off a cliff because they wanted no hope that that goat would ever live another day. You did not want to get up in the morning, go out your door and go to work, and that goat's on your front porch, right? It's, it's, it's worse than walking underneath a ladder, right? This, was, this is the bad goat. Do you see the picture? And do you see how this picture would make you feel? One goat is slain to cover your sin. One is to carry your sins away. Your sins are removed, they're taken away, and they're never to be heard from again. Wouldn't it be beautiful? So Providence, I want to bring this home to you today, and I want you, I want you to feel what it would like to have been at Yom Kippur. I want you to take that three-by-five card, and on the left-hand side, I want you to put at the top, our nation, and underneath that, I want you to write down the sins of our nation this past year. And underneath that, why don't you put the sins of the nation over the last several hundred years? And just take a moment and reflect and write those out. As you think through the news, you think through what we've been known for. Not just sins of commission, but sins of omission. What are things we should have been doing that we haven't done? I want you to move to the right-hand side of your card, and I want you to think about your individual sins that you committed this year. Say, oh, someone's sitting right next to me. I'm not sure I really want to write those out. You can just put July, right? You don't have to, like, write it all out. What are those things that still kind of hang in your head that says it wasn't the best year for me in this area? And maybe underneath that, I want you to write down What are those sins that are maybe older than a year, but they seem to constantly be in your mind, and Satan continues to use those and says, remember that one? Remember that one? 
write it down. See, this is guilt and shame. And we're, we're dealing with it. Say, what is guilt? Guilt is this idea that there's a standard of God's righteousness and I fall short of it. And I fail the objective standard that God set for me. And I have these sins that haunt me. Satan still used those to say, you're probably not really a Christian because you did that thing. I remember talking to a former gang member who took someone's life in this neighborhood and he wanted to start doing good and start giving back to the community. And I said to him, I said, why are you doing it? And he said, because I've done so much dirt that I've got to, I've got to make up for the dirt that I've done. I said, can you ever make up enough for the life that you took and the gang that you started? And he said, I can never do it. And I said, then you shouldn't start doing the work. Because you're going to be driven out of this guilt rather than this driven by this pardon and this great forgiveness of God. You see, God knows about the crime. God knows about the hurt. He knows about the abuse. He knows about the abortion. He knows about the betrayal. He knows about the lies. He knows about the affairs. He knows about the porn. He knows about all of it. He knows every single thing that we have done to fall short. That is guilt. It is something I have done. I made this mistake. But then we also battle with shame. What is shame? Shame is not saying I made a mistake. Shame is saying I am a mistake. This is where Satan takes this, the guilt of sin and continues to be the accuser of the brethren. Shame is this idea that society has this standard and you just don't meet it. You don't, you don't make uh, the grade on your income or your education or your bodily appearance or your abilities or your status or your habits. You name it. That's shame. I want you to just put all the guilt and shame on that card. And as the music is playing, as you're finished with that card, I would actually like you to come up here to this goat. And I want you to take that card, fold it in half, and put it, there's, there's going to be a bag on this goat, and I want you to put the sin in that bag, and we're going to put it on this scapegoat here today. So I want you to leave your seat, come on up, and place that sin on this scapegoat as an illustration of Yom Kippur. It's one nasty goat. I'm going to take that bag and I'm going to start opening those cards and reading them out loud to you. I'm just kidding. You realize the, the stuff that's in there? You feel what it would be like to your whole year being weighed down and saying, I need this. I need to take care of this. And Yom Kippur was the time when you would deal with it and you would take care of it. But here's the problem. You have to do this every single year. Can you imagine being part of the nation of Israel and being 60 years old and going to do Yom Kippur for perhaps the 55th time? I can't imagine getting my teenage sons to 
fast and pray for 10 days and have no Takis and no flaming Hot Cheetos and getting them excited about this ritual because it doesn't seem very celebratory to me. Is there any way we can get a three-year goat? Can we get a 5-1 goat? One goat for five years? Because year after year, it creates a hunger. It's a hunger for it to be done. To be done. You see in the pictures, in the Old Testament, every picture, every passage in the Old Testament, as we've been saying in this series, is a picture that points to Christ, shows the need for Christ, points us to him, or shows a picture of who he is. And this, the Bible says in Hebrews 10, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. But here, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Thanks, Walker. Unless something happened to change all that. Unless something happened to change all that. In John 19... Jesus stands before Pilate, and he is there before the judgment hall. And he says to the Jews, here is your king. Do you want your king? And what does the crowd shout back? Crucify him, crucify him. Do you know what they actually said? If you reread your Bible again for the first time, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. He is your Azazel. He is the one who is your scapegoat. And how did he mirror the scapegoat? He was the one who was taken away. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, although the high priest brings the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, the bodies are burned outside the camp. Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to sanctify the people by his own blood. He was the one who took it away, and he died with the sins on his shoulders. When John sees him, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, who what? Takes away. He azazels the sins of the world. Jesus didn't just cover your sin. He took it away. So he's very much like the scapegoat. But I will say this, he's better than the scapegoat. Hebrews 10.10. 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Say it out loud. Say it again. All what? All time, all sin, all people, past, present, and future. Folks, it is not just the sins of your past year. It's not just the sins before you came to Christ. It is every sin. He took it all. And he made you into a new person. The Bible says you were made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. You are a new person. You are a new creation. You are redeemed. You are, you are a saint, folks. You are not a sinner. You cannot walk around with the primary thing is I'm just a sinner 
saved by grace. No, you are a saint who was once a sinner. You are not a sinner by your primary identity. You were born from above. Why? God is a God of freedom, and he wants that guilt and shame gone because that's the stuff that's going to weigh you down from doing what he's created you to do and to be. So when Satan holds that sin over your head, uh, you say, uh, no. Satan, that, that, that goat has died. It's off the cliff. Hey, do you remember that relationship you destroyed? Oh, that, that goat has died. Do you know that you have a criminal record? Oh, that goat has died. Oh, I've heard this often that when you sin, you let the feathers out of the pillow and they're blowing down. You can't put the feathers back in. And someone say, yeah, I know. I know you're sorry for what you did, but the feathers have been let out of the pillow. Oh, no, 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 no. That goat has died. I am not going to let that guilt and that shame hang over my head. Do you know what a bad parent you are? This, people do this to you. You can say, hey, that, that goat has died. And they're going to look at you like, what? And you can say, the goat has died. Just look it up. <laughs> this doesn't mean you don't sin. But the scripture continues to say, you are not who you were. You are a new creation. You have joined the saints. You have been reborn, remade, and he has made you holy forever. How does this deal with your guilt and shame? You deal with it by reminding yourself how God dealt with it. He dealt with it through his son, and it was forgiven at the cross, and he has cast it as far as the east is from the west. Shame will come in and and try to attack that idea of the pardon for the guilt, but we counter it by saying, no, we are new, we are loved, we're forgiven, we're adopted, and there is nothing that can separate me from the love of Christ. This is why we need the church, because in community, we constantly have to call out our, our new identity to each other in the new family of Jesus. And I want you to know that the work is done. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. Why? Because it was done. There was no longer a need for another sacrifice. So as we close today as a picture of what Christ has done on the cross, this goat is going to die. This goat is going to leave and go into the wilderness carrying our sin once and for all. And when that is done, this priest is going to sit down. And when those things happen, I want you to celebrate like it is New Year's Eve and the ball is dropping at midnight. Right? I mean, I watched on the news yesterday as a runner completed a marathon in less than two hours. Did you see that? It was all over social media. It was all over ESPN. The finish line, it was just so euphoric to watch everybody screaming and shouting. And when they took that camera and they put it into uh, Kenya and they showed the tens of thousands of people dancing in the streets and screaming, it was a beautiful thing. For what? A guy ran fast for two hours. Big deal. If, if people can do that for a guy who runs fast for two hours, what do we do when all that crap in those bags, we know is forgiven for all time and for eternity. This, was, this means then that 
when that goat leaves, nobody is in their chairs. That we are going to have a celebration in here worthy of the sacrifice of our Jesus. We have something far greater, and I want the celebration to be far greater. I want to see people in this room in just a few seconds shouting, dancing, hugging, screaming, and I want to permanently sear into your minds this picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and let's lift this roof, and the music will play, and let us celebrate. Are you ready? Warmed up? Okay.
You may be seated. Got one more slide up there. I hope you never forget when the guilt and the shame come to your head. I want you to remember that goat has died and we can celebrate that we are a new people. I want to close with this. So what? Jesus also suffered outside the city gate. Okay, He was the scapegoat. They took him outside the city to Golgotha, and there he hung on that cross to sanctify the people by his own blood. Then Hebrews says this. This is so powerful. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. Do you realize what he's saying there? This was not part of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, you stayed in your comfortable city. You stayed in your comfortable community. And here he's saying, because of this great once-for-all sacrifice for sins, you go out by the goat. You go out to the margins. You go out to those places, and you bear the disgrace that he bore. Why? Because we do not have a permanent city. We are looking for the city that is to come. This means because of this great redemption, we move toward need, not toward comfort, because we don't have to worry about our life anymore. Our, our, that whole thing is done. We are sanctified. We are redeemed. We are part of God's forever family. So life or death, whether we live or die, it doesn't matter. So then let us go to the places that nobody else will go to. Let us go to the place where those people hang out. Let us go to them, and there we tell them this good news, that the goat has died, and you can live this new life as this new creation of God. It is such a thrill to be part of this congregation, where I see this happen on a daily basis here. But let us not get comfortable I don't want us thinking that just because we have a great nonprofit here and we have small groups that adopt refugee communities and that we have others that take on youth mentoring in the neighborhood that, that, that we should pat ourselves on the back. Maybe there are some people that God is calling here to, to leave this neighborhood, to, to go to some unreached people groups, to spread the news that the goat has died to other places and it's not comfortable. Let us never lose the edge of this great salvation and always be asking God, what are you calling me to do? You might be here today and you're like, well, this is my first time at church in a couple years, maybe my life. What happened? I just want you to know, this is Jesus. This is the family of Jesus. This is the picture of Jesus. This is what Jesus is all about. You may have heard that religion is a set of rules, and not this idea of this redemption, but this is essentially the core message of the Christian faith. I, I invite you to, to come and follow him with this family. Other than that, I'm not going to work on a bunch more application points for you. I'm just going to let you let the truth sit and let God minister to your heart. So let's stand together. We'll close with the response song. Then Marcus will come for a benediction in our prayer team. We'll be here to pray with you if you would like prayer. Or if you would like some anointing uh, for some healing in your life, you can do that as well.